that's that's what I have on my business card. That's what I tell all of my experiencers is honor yourself because you survived. Because no matter what that experience was, if you, however old you were, didn't live through it and survive, you wouldn't be here right now. And it takes away a lot of the shame and it takes away a lot of the stigma. And it, it gives them, I feel, kind of the almost kind of like the permission that they've been seeking to to talk and finally start to get this stuff out. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode of Conspiracy Theoryology, The Story Keepers, joined by experienced preservationist N.K. Cranda, as well as Travis, a personal experiencer with his own story to share, we explore the growing field of experiencer research and discuss the power of stories, the impact of sharing personal experiences, and the unique approach to engaging with individuals that have amazing and often hard-to-believe stories. Ultimately, this discussion should remind us all that there are very real and ordinary people behind these extraordinary experiences. yourself because you survived. These words encapsulate a unique and welcomed approach for those that have experienced the unexplained and unexplainable, and it exemplifies the empathetic and generous nature of our guest today. Welcome back, theoriologists. It is my very real pleasure to bring you this episode. I have the privilege of introducing you to two amazing guests on the show today. But first, our topic as titled, is The Story Keepers. You will find out what that means as you listen to the discussion shortly, but it was born of some research on the topic of stories and storytelling. The stories we tell have powerful influence over our memories, and in fact, have proven to bring people together, inspiring empathetic responses from listeners and increasing generosity in our behaviors. Actually, Stories are so impactful in their ability to shape our behaviors and our self-identities that the fields of psychology and sociology have areas of focus specifically to address these tales of experience. From the sociological perspective, an approach known as the life history method has been used since the 1920s and saw revival in the 1970s. It utilizes a narrative interview to gather from an individual the story of his or her life in their own words. 
more than just a biographical record, this method is utilized to capture a living picture and better understand a people as a whole. Narrative psychology, on the other hand, approaches patients with storytelling strategies as a means of increasing the benefit of therapy. Stories so dramatically shape memory that once a story is told, it's hard to get out of the story's framework, and we live up to our own stories. They become our identities. Positive stories, when shared intentionally with coherent flow and a cause and effect path, have been observed to have gains in well-being and ego development. And for the listeners, there are benefits as well. Listening makes us better. Shared stories become shared experiences. These form relationships and engender emotional stimulation. In a world where our lives are on constant display through social media, in a world where our lives are on constant display through social media, we struggle with the real fear of disenfranchisement and being ostracized and judged for having lives that don't live up to the socially accepted framework. Ironically, in our efforts to live up to the call of being real and authentic, we, in fact, shape very inauthentic pictures of ourselves, often withholding parts of ourselves that are hard to face. And this is where our guests come in, to remove that barrier of apprehension and threat of derision and judgment making space for experience to be shared and for stories to be heard. N.K. Cranda is an investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, known as MUFON, and has, in my opinion, answered a calling to preserve incredible stories from people that far too often found no one truly willing to listen. I approached N.K. after hearing her interviews on two other podcasts, Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague, and Hysteria 51. Both are excellent interviews and cover things that we did not discuss. Rather than tread through repeated information, I highly recommend that you listen to those interviews after this. I'll have links in the show notes. I presented NK with an episode discussion concept that had come to my mind, to story keepers. I wanted to take the opportunity to understand her approach and introduce to you this small but growing movement of preservation efforts within the realm of the paranormal. N.K. stands out from her investigative peers due to a unique approach and an inspiring attitude. I knew that you needed to hear this and get to know her. Of course, that would be dependent on her willingness and availability. She is, after all, a refreshing voice in this field of research, and her demand is growing. This year, Alone, she has spoken at MUFON events, conducted interviews, participated in discussion panels at AlienCon in Los Angeles, and was even approached to record an episode of the newly released Travel Channel series, Strange World. Oh yeah, and, and she's a mom as well, which already mystifies me that she has any mental capacity left over to have tackled the rest of the stuff I just mentioned. Still, though, she is shining. So yes, it felt like a slim-to-none chance that she would be available, even if interested. N.K., though, did one better. Not only did she graciously accept the invitation, she honored me and the Conspiracy Theoryology audience by bringing along a guest. Travis is an, is an experiencer that has not only opened up to N.K., 
but has been willing to share his story with others, not only as a testament to N.K.'s approach, but also as an example of what real experiencers are, everyday average people that have not-so-average stories to tell. As we start the interview, please accept my apologies. There were technical difficulties, as can happen with things like this, but fortunately, I used Squadcast FM to record, and the awesome team at Squadcast was quick to jump in and help out. Though the audio track for NK and Travis were perfect, mine ended up completely blank. But thanks to Squadcast's cloud backup feature, I was able to get a complete backup file within minutes. The audio isn't as good, but it lets me bring you this interview, rather than finding me in a dark corner crying. So, with that said, let's begin. You know, again, thanks very, very much for coming on. And to really summarize it, the thing that inspired me the most to invite you on was a quote that you said, which which I included when when we were uh, corresponding, you know, back and forth. And I and that's when I realized that everything that you were doing has a has a different focus than a lot of people out there in that realm of the paranormal, of supernatural. It's all about investigation and it's all about research, but you are much more focused on the stories and yes. the people. And and that's that's great. It's refreshing. Um, and and I think it's something new that people like and it's something that uh, is is beginning to gain traction and and fascination with with the public that is learning about this, especially right now, while this has become mainstream. Yes. You know, this topic has been a, an area of discussion and that will ebb and flow. But right now, for all of those that are being newly introduced to it, this is something uh, this is something new and this is something unique. And because of that, I noticed that um, you uh, you've had a pretty busy year. I, I mean, I, I, when I was digging through and and uh, and coming on uh, searching for a bit of background, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought, wow, you've had a you've had a crazy year. I mean, you, it seems like everything started. You've got a, a great profile that MUFON has has put on for you. That really starts with a, a what a February uh, discussion at a uh, in San Antonio for for MUFON, and that led to podcast mm-hmm. interviews. You've uh, been featured on uh, Hysteria Fifty One. You've been on Somewhere in the Skies, uh, two shows that I enjoy listening to. Uh, to uh, you know, and two very different perspectives mm-hmm. on that. Of course, that got you then to Alien Con and a panel there. Uh, which is spectacular. That's huge. Um, and, and of course, uh, joining here. I mean, have you had a chance to take a breather? Uh, so I far? also went to Austin and I did filming for the Travel Channel. That's right, the Travel yeah. Channel. That's exciting. And then that'll come up. And uh, we'll bring, make sure we bring that up uh, after everything is said and done because I want everybody to ca- catch you next season on this new show um that's that's just phenomenally exciting uh, but that goes to the point that this is um this is gaining traction traction this is a topic that people are interested in so of course like we talked about before um you know we've kind of kind of got some areas that i'd love to to address uh and so you know we can just kind of start at the top sure um uh-huh. 
you know, be, uh, be gentle with me. I'm I'm a little nervous, so <laughs> you you go ahead and start however you want, and I'll try and try and follow along. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, ultimately, our our theme for this this overarching theme is is the power of stories, right? That's that's ostensibly the 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 title even of this episode that I've called the story keepers. And the idea is to get an understanding of what that means. I mean, when you talk about my listeners, they they run the gamut of belief and interest. I mean, from those that are really mildly familiar, but interested in the topics, alternative theories, uh, paranormal experiences, uh, the supernatural, uh, all the way to those that are extremely knowledgeable, passionate about these topics, uh, one or more areas they, you know, they dived in, become experts in, in particular realms, uh, uh, amateur experts from the paranormal, the clandestine, the esoteric. So all of that these days falls under the label of, of conspiracy theory. Uh, hence the, the title of this podcast. Uh, really just simply for people contemplating unpopular ideas and alternative perspectives. But regardless of those perspectives and people's positions on, on those beliefs, those ideas, it's, it's really those individuals' fascination with a topic that really begins with one thing. And that's, that's a story, an event, something happening. These stories, when told, they result in an effect for both the teller and the listener. I mean, this, this is true. It seems, uh, for those stories that are, uh, of extreme circumstances and, and events, especially. And they really have some sort of formative change for the experiencer and at times for, for those that are hearing the story. And these can be, uh, paradigm shifting. Uh, these are stories of experience. And that result is that the stories shape self identities, behaviors, and even memories of the storytellers. For the listeners, of course, those stories transfer experience, and studies, of course, have shown that that elicits empathy, uh, which again brings people together, and that's the importance of getting these stories out. In general, stories, when properly recorded and archived, really give us a firsthand glimpse into individual histories and an unbiased perspective. So, as we work through this, I want to convey that point, and I... That's, and that's why I wanted you on, on, on here because my perspective of jumping in and doing some research on this is one thing. But, but somebody that has, is actively involved in this, uh, is to me infinitely more valuable. Um, but I, I think the, the first thing to do, and, and, and actually, let me, uh, let me jump in here because this, and, and break the flow because I didn't do this at the beginning forgive me, is that, uh, uh, NK, we've, I've got you here on the show, and that's what I started, but we were fortunate enough to have a surprise guest that you have brought with you. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you would, uh, or perhaps, Travis, if you all would like to, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, howdy, Ryan. Uh, my name is Travis. Uh, I, I met NK uh, through uh, MUFON. I, I've only been to one meeting, wanted to see what was going on with it, and uh, she was there, and... Uh, I had some interesting stories to, that I heard from other people and that I shared some things with while I was there at the meetings. Uh, and she seemed to be kind of interested in that. We ended up meeting up after that and, uh, she got to interview me as an experiencer, uh, which turned out to be very painless. 
That's good. That's always a good start. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Well, I'm really glad that you uh, that you came today. Thank you. Uh, I think that will add even more to this discussion. Again, that's firsthand perspective, not just from NK, but we can get a uh, we can get a a firsthand perspective on her approach from someone. And and it, I think that says a lot that somebody says that it's painless. Yeah. You know, I think that's the first concern everybody has. Uh, so, I left some uh, sweet tarts in a deer trap, and I just caught him and brought him over. <laughs> <laughs> Experiencers are hard to find these days. Well, that, you know what? That'll be a question that we'll have later, too, uh, because I thought about that same thing. Is It's not like you're just tripping over him on this street. Actually, Sometimes she does. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, before we get into that, let's introduce for people that have not heard, uh, and I will recommend that everybody go back. I'll have links to uh, all the other interviews that NK has had so that y'all can jump over and listen to those shows. They're, they're fun shows in the first place. Uh, they're, of course, on my uh, listening list, but they're also excellent interviews, and we're not going to tread, uh, retread some of those topics. So they are definitely an opportunity to hear some additional things. But like I said, the theme of this is story keepers. And that's a term that came to my mind uh, when I was introduced to you listening to uh, previous interviews. And of course, those terms come to mind that even you used, which is archivist and, and preservationist. Uh, but terms that people are necessarily familiar with unless they're in that realm an academic realm or in the realm of research it, but especially in context to ufology and other paranormal experience and research so how would you describe yourself and and really this work in the field it, are those are those good terms is archivist and or preservationist are those accurate and and how would you define that differently than just a researcher uh, when I think of an archivist, I think of the uh, mean librarian in Star Wars, where she's like, if it is not in all records, it does not exist. <laughs> so uh, I know as a joke, I'll call myself the librarian. And sometimes I do uh, refer to my uh, preservations as archives, but I'm much more of a preservationist. I'm more of a person that wants to come in and I want to preserve that interview and that person exactly as they are and not shape it with uh, my feelings, my emotions, or how I feel that it should exist or how I'm seeing it. That's why I use a, uh, a voice recorder. I don't just rely on my notes or my institutional memory or anything like that. I actually do take their, their words and their voice and I record it and sometimes I can help them write an outline or anything else but it's it's really such a gift as a preservationist to be able to give their own voice back to them you know absolutely I, and that's hard to do uh, it's it's one thing to tell an anecdotal story that you've told over and over again yeah you know amongst friends it's another thing when you realize that you are trying to relay an experience, an event, and capture the emotion, capture what happened without it sounding like witness testimony. Yes. Right? <laughs> Under oath. Okay, well, and that's great. I love that. I love the term librarian. I think that's perfect. Yeah, uh, and I and, recently uh, got into an argument with a, uh, a very outdated researcher that had the audacity to correct me when I said that I uh, preserved stories. 
that he's like, they're not stories, it's witness testimony. And my testimony is verified by, you know, making them do polygraph tests. So my experiencers are real experiencers. And I'm like, dude, fuck off. You just asked me if I could get you on TV. I obviously want nothing to do with you if you think that polygraphs are still a good way to verify testimony. It's not. And it's it's so rude to the experiencers be like, I oh yeah, sure, I believe you. And I'm going to plug you into this thing and see if your words make sense on this paper. Well, you know that's a that's a that's a huge aspect, and that goes again to uh, a, a a big difference in this field that that you're reflecting, and I, and it seems like more and more others are moving towards, uh, probably a lot under your inspiration, which is why we need to get this out more for people to hear. So while we're on that topic, let's just move to that as we're defining things. You know, it's one thing to have what you're doing defined, but let's look at the other side of it. You know, let's Let's define that experiencer. You, you know, you very intentionally, you use that term experiencer. Um, and it, it isn't widely used. Um, it, it, although I'm, I am starting to hear it a lot more. Uh, thanks to, thanks to, uh, you getting out there and others. Um, and I know that it's something that's more common within MUFON. Uh, and that's great, but it's, it, it's, it really is a departure from some of that other terminology that's used by investigators and researchers. Uh, not just that. I mean, we're talking in the realms of psychology and therapy and certainly with the skeptics. Uh, you, you know, you said it yourself. We've got terms like witness, subject, patient, abductee, contactee, right? They're very defining. They're very limiting in terms and, and they're meant to just convey a source of, of information and they often carry quite a stigma. So would you define for you uh, and, and, and for us what experiencer is? Um, so to start with, I think the first person that really ran with the term experiencer and to define it, it just means a person who experiences something. The first person to really put it out on paper and make it a big thing, in my opinion, was John Mack who was dealing with this sort of research and study that had never been done before. They uh, they were just labeling these people as schizophrenic. And he thought, no, I'd much rather call them an experiencer than, you know, a, a subject or anything like that. And what he was doing and what I'm also trying to do is I'm taking away that shame and I'm taking away that stigma because when you're declaring someone to be something like an abductee or a contactee, you're immediately shaping that interview and that testimony right off the bat. So when I tell someone like, oh, you're an experiencer, that could mean anything from someone I'm interviewing that has seen uh, some type of aerial phenomena. They could have been abducted. I've talked to people that seen and have communicated with ghosts or things that they feel or other spirits. Um, I've talked to someone that's dabbled in demonology and interacted with demons. So an experiencer is this great umbrella term. Uh, Ryan Sprague uses it as well which is just a wonderful way of removing those labels that make them feel like they're a victim of something, you know, like it happened to you. Right, right. Again, you're more than simply the subject of, or the object of an action. Yes. Uh, that's great. Okay, so and, and that answers uh, the second question, which is, it, you know, I was concerned, wondering if that was restricted to kind of a particular set of experiences, but but it's not. I mean, right. it's it's really about that. Now, you said that, and, and are you seeing that? Does does that really uh, elicit an effect or a change from these individuals, these experiencers that you're speaking to? Um, 
when you are referring to them as an experiencer, especially if they haven't necessarily heard it uh, or heard themselves to find that, that that I mean, is it beneficial for them? Absolutely. Uh, it had a personal effect on me because I had no idea what experiencer was or what it meant. And when I actually looked into the definition, it was like, I'm an experiencer. I'm, I'm, I fall into this category of people that have had, had these type of things happen to them. And I had no idea. I can hand out my business card to someone in a crowd and they go, what's experiencer preservation? What's an experiencer? And I'll explain to them the, the same things that I just said. And then they go, I'm an experiencer. Can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, at, at, coming from the other side of it, that being called a contactee or something or abductee or something like that makes me think of some, you know, sci-fi movie rather than of my own life. Yeah. And so that doesn't strike a chord, but the experiencer thing was much gentler and much softer and just, you know, everybody has experiences, even if they don't have anything to do with anything strange. Well then let's, let's look up that because now that, now that my listeners have an idea of what they mean when we're talking about the librarian, the preservation work, and we're and we're talking and who we're talking about when we're talking about experiencers. Um, before we delve into a bit more of that, I really would like to just have them understand a bit of your motivations. You know, you've you've made clear that you're not pursuing this collection of stories, this preservation, just just for some book deal or some sort of commercialization of these records. Um, now, some may be more than willing to uh, approach you with the idea that they, they have no problems with you sharing these stories publicly uh, or even publishing these stories. But you've said that that's not your primary intention of what motivates you. So would you would you enlighten us on as to what is your motivation? What what's moved you forward with doing this and what keeps you going? What really motivates me is the the sort of enforced silence that comes from all of that stigma and fear of having these types of experiences and having something out of the ordinary happen to you. Because for me, it started when I was uh, very young. Um, I have something called the marble story, which if you want to hear uh, a short version of that story, it's uh, my first experience. That's over on Hysteria 51. To, to, to sum it up very briefly, uh, when I was about eight years old, I was playing with a marble in a church. And the marble started interacting with me independently of any type of uh, force of gravity or anything else. It was moving in figure eight motions. And I got such a wonderful elation from this type of experience to the point where I was laughing and I ran screaming into my mom to have her come and see. And she just flat out didn't believe me. So that type of uh, crushing disappointment that, you know, I was a child, I was happy, I was experiencing this amazing and magical situation just to have somebody kind of crush it under their heel that, no, that's not possible. Just go be quiet. You're a kid. So that that really is what motivates me. Um, I'm also a sexual assault survivor. So I've done a lot of uh, research along with the the power that comes from telling your experience and that the more you tell this experience, the more that not only can other people believe you potentially, but the more that you believe yourself. And that uh, really rolls into other work that I've done with PTSD survivors and members members of the military that I've talked to and that I've interviewed as well. So I took a lot of these uh, tools and research and other things that I had picked up from PTSD and trauma research, and I started talking to experiencers like that. And I started talking to them casually. I was like, you know what, this isn't an interview. I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm not 
any type of reporter. I just want to listen to you and see what you have to say. And one of my favorite things to say is, you know, is there any way that I can support you better? Is there a way that I can be supportive to you at all? Most of them just want me to listen, which is where we kind of came up with this idea of uh, the story keeper episode is that not everybody wants a preservation or a recording. They just want their story told. Right. Right. It, it, and, and, you know, I, while we didn't bring this up in, in the discussion, I mean, this, that was what fascinated me is, is there's a long tradition of oral history and that's at yes. times, that's what's needed. That's what's most important with these is, mm-hmm. is hearing that and conveying that. I mean, you could take those things you've said of of people just that that blowing hit of of people just simply not believing you, whether the experience was upsetting or positive. I mean, it sounds like you, you could take that sentence and and put that with example after example of person after person. I suppose that's that's the question: is do you think do you think that 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 your motivations are are very similar in general? What motivates this this preservation effort that's that's going on and it's growing definitely i think that we've lost so much testimony already uh not not only because of you know that overarching theme of something happened and then the government comes and steps on you to be quiet but because there's just shame there was really no reason for for these people to ever tell their story because like your your family and friends would stop talking to you you could be fired from your job you're ostracized from your community uh and then that makes me so sad because there's, there's so many things that I have heard in the last 10 years that I'm finally starting to connect the dots now. But if I hadn't heard that initial story 10 years ago or taken the time to listen and be patient, I wouldn't have that connection. And that's really what it's all about is, you know, drawing those strings together to kind of make a bigger picture of what's happening. Because that can help a lot of people not only feel validated, but maybe there is some kind of central meaning to all of these little experiences that people are having. That's great. And that that somewhat answers kind of our next topic, which is is really discussing the the value of these experiencer collections, this this library of preserved stories, a bit of an archive. And and I'd really like your perspective. You know, I, I think it would be beneficial for these listeners to have archive or collection defined and, and why it's more than just that pedantic term of a bunch of stories. Correct. <laughs> well, you you had showed me the, the King's College. They had a wonderful definition um, that records are not usually created for the purpose of historical research, which often provides a less biased account of events than secondary sources. They promote the importance of archives as evidence of activities that tell us about individuals and institutions. They tell those stories and increase our sense of identity and understanding of cultures which I love. I, I think that that's a fantastic definition of archives. And my archives do essentially do that, where I like to have those voice recordings and everything else where it's told directly from the perspective of the experiencer. It's not being filter fed through me in a book or through TV or anything else, trying to prove whatever point I'm trying to prove. Absolutely. Absolutely. No uh, preconceived notions or expectations with those. And I do. I love yes. that definition of the archive. It, it's it's that whole idea, and it's stuff that we've I've explored on on previous shows. You know, the moment a the moment a story is told, it is oh contaminated may be the wrong word. It is influenced by the by ourselves by the very fact that it's told, and so so getting it out there in that first person format and perspective 
sometimes for the very first time is absolutely uh, of of high importance. I mean, it's it has a tremendous value to it because it's it's just never going to, it's never going to be more original than the than the first time than the first time told. Absolutely, and uh, I'll give a shout out to um, Peter Robbins, one of my mentors. Because he was very adamant about doing that when he was working working with Bud Hopkins, you know, everything was tape recorded, everything. And he took that uh, influence from Bud Hopkins when he was working on Rendlesham, where he said, you know, I always had two recorders in my pocket all the time. And he would take those painstaking hours transcribing it himself word by word because he was just an excellent researcher. And he uh, wanted to make sure that he had it right. And he wanted to make sure that the words that were being typed were exactly the words being said. So I had an intense amount of respect for that. Um, and that's ex- that's what I like to do as well, is that not only does it give you that accuracy, but it, it brings that story to life, hearing that person's voice, hearing their, their vocal intonation, you know, hearing the way that they inflect certain words. It's, it's kind of why I brought Travis here today is because, you know, I could tell his story to you verbatim and it would be in my simple monotone voice but now you have this nice bass voice over here that can actually make it come alive for you and that's half the fun it's uh it it really it's so validating to other people to hear a normal seemingly sane sorry travis (laughs) a normal sane person you know he holds he holds a good job he has good friends and family values and yet this amazing thing happened to him that that's the other fun thing I like to run with is, you know, is having other experiencers talk to other experiencers. It's not just me. You know, that's that segues right into another area of discussion. And and that's it's a huge aspect of it, because even understanding your sincerity, your approach and the motivations and, and, and now knowing what what perspective that these experiencers are coming from. The other side, of course, is everybody else. Right. I mean, we do love a good ghost story. That's why there's show after show about these um, paranormal and extraterrestrial experiences, unexplained events. Uh, we all grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries. It's their stuff been t- in on television, film, podcasts uh, like this one. <laughs> and, and they they all have successful shows and movies on the topic. But. A challenge that these experiencers face is one disbelief and two more challenging is that disenfranchisement. While we're fascinated with all this stuff, so many, so many of us, when someone that we know comes forward and believes that they've had an experience, we are immediately quick to dismiss it and find an explanation. Uh, at times people will ridicule their friends and family, uh, even to the point that they just completely disconnect. So, you know, that disbelief and dose and social disenfranchisement, those are very real risks for these experiencers historically. So where does that, where do you think that disconnect comes from? Why, why does the public fascination stop at the people we know? Does, I mean, does that, does that risk exist for experiencers? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, There are still places in the United States, scarily enough, not only just in the world, where you can be uh, killed, you can be uh, exercised against your will for having demons in you, you can be thrown in a mental hospital, uh, you can be fired from your job, you can be ostracized from your family and your community just for talking about these things that have happened to you. And it's 
extremely scary and there is a lot of stigma, but I think that we're finally moving towards, we're, we're getting better. There are safe places to talk about it and there are safe ways to access that information that people didn't have before, like the internet or a podcast like yours. But I, what I really want is them, for them to not feel not so alone. When I said that experiencers were hard to find for it, that's, that's obviously a joke. <laughs> is that you're, you're not alone. I've run into so many experiencers and I don't know if it's the universe kind of throwing them at me like tiny pebbles, making me work when I should be working. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it starts out often enough. It's very simple. It just starts out with a, a conversation. I remember this so vividly from the other day. I was wearing a pinup style dress. Somebody complimented me on it, and I said, uh, thank you. I feel like I was kind of born in the wrong time. I just love pinup dresses so much. And he said, really? I've been born lots of times. And I said, really? How many times? And we got into a great conversation about reincarnation and uh, the things that he had been seeing, and he was doing past life regression without a hypnotist. He was having these amazing dreams, and wham, there's an experiencer in the middle of a dance hall with me standing there sweating, holding a glass of water. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. You can't have, you can't have like Toastmaster uh, prompt cards that prompt conversations better than that, you know? Right. I, that's great. Well, and, and there's something to it. Of course, there's that, that would dive into the world of, of, of synergies and, 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 um, yeah. And that sort of uh, stuff. Carl, Carl Jung synchronicities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but, but that's part of it. Now, I think understanding that to to really drive home that point of disbelief and disenfranchisement, you know, I want to step away from the out of the world topics, as it were, right? Those those quote unquote unbelievable experiences. Is this is that sort of of resistance, that disbelief, that alienation uh, from one's family and friends? Is that also still a risk? Uh, because I know that you've worked with with those that have ex- have PTSD experiences and other other traumatic experiences uh, that are simply more ordinary, as it were. Although there's nothing ordinary about about a traumatic experience, is that still a risk that that even those feel? Say those that are coming out of the military or. Absolutely. Uh, if you talk to some of the people, not just women, but some of the people that come from the military that, you know, reported sexual harassment and how they're ostracized in their units and everywhere else uh, and where they work because you were the person that had to report. They find that people no longer talk to them, that they're passed up for promotions, that their paperwork ends up getting lost. It's these quiet ways that we punish people for coming forward. And it's, it's just really awful. And even to move away from PTSD, you can look at uh, women that were sexually assaulted. You know, in many religions, you're no longer eligible for a, a good, reputable marriage in the church's eyes because you've been tainted. You're no longer a virgin. You're no longer pure. And to, to hear some of the testimony from those women in the church that were taught their entire lives that your, your purity was totally dependent on your virginity and then to have that ripped away from them. It's not easy to do the preservation work that I do, because whether we're talking about something that's socially acceptable, like PTSD from war or PTSD from sexual assault or from a car accident, or we're talking about PTSD from being abducted or PTSD from being contacted by these things against their will, I'm I'm being there in a very uncomfortable place with them. And I'm going through this story with them and I'm asking them those questions and I'm 
I'm trying not to cry while they're telling me these incredible things. And it's, it's really cathartic, I think, for both parties, but it's, it's extremely difficult. And there's some stories I've heard that I, I will never be able to unhear. There are parts of the woods that I will never go into. There are places that I will never visit. Um, it's really changed my perspective on life and sometimes for the better. I've, I've also heard some really incredible stories that kind of give me back that, well, Jesus, there really is some goodness left in humankind. It's out there. You know, I've got it on recording. We're going to make it. <laughs> well, that's always good. That, it, it is always nice to find that silver lining because, yeah, I mean, whenever you start talking about these topics, you know, as explored on shows like this, I come across that same thing is, is there any hope? And then occasionally there's something positive. That that was – before. go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Before we uh, get away from that, that's something I think – there is a scientific term for it, but what it's usually called is like herd syndrome, where nobody wants to depart from the herd. And that's actually an instinct that human beings have, is that if you did something to get kicked out of the herd or from your social structure, you were left to die in the wilderness. And that's something that, that we still instinctually feel very much, especially with political parties and values and such as that. That if we deviate from those norms that we have grown up with, we feel all of that anxiety like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to get kicked out of the herd. My friends aren't going to talk to me. It's a survival instinct that you want to stay with your group of friends and you want to stay within your social groups because literally back then you, you would have been left alone to die. So uh, that's really something that I want to research more myself, kind of that herd syndrome type of thing. If anyone else knows more about it. Um, email me. That would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have another example for that too. I mean, it's been proven with, uh, with wolf pack. Yes. Her, that herd mentality. Yes. That's it. They pun, they will punish each other specifically by pushing them out of the group mm -hmm. for whatever period of time that they're sent to the corner, Yes. you know, and, uh, and that's, that's the whole focus is at that point, then your only priority is to return back with the pack. Yep. So it's definitely, it's something ingrained with us. And, and I think it's really important, uh, listeners, that, that you think about it like that, that when we are talking about these experiences and we are talking about uh, traumatic events or uh, very impactful events, that it's when these stories are occurring, it's not that someone's collecting a, a UFO story or a, a an alien abduction story. It's that NK is hearing a, a very personal story of something potentially traumatic, something upsetting, or even in the case of those stories where they're very positive yeah. and they're uplifting, yeah. they are sometimes unbelievable. But these, these stories and the, the reactions people are having, the emotions underlying them, the thought process behind it, uh, all of those aspects, those psychological aspects and the physiological events that are occurring, it's no different than all of those traumatic stories that you're willing to accept that that can be told or should be shared or need to be known. And and it's taking that perspective of saying this isn't some outside fringe group. These are just people. Right. Like all everybody else that's had a that's had an experience that they can't explain or don't know how to tell or don't know if they're the only one. Correct. Yeah. That herd is growing. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Us Safety in numbers. We're coming to get you. <laughs> but it is, it's a, it's an exercise in societal norm and also cultural norm, you know, where the, 
the Native American peoples that had their sky people and some places uh, in Peru, you know, where being contacted by the sky people and it was just a normal part of life and if you dig into shamanism and then the religious ecstasy and the way that they communicate with the spirit worlds on the other side that was normal for them it's really kind of you know white esoteric america that kind of is struggling the most with this societal norm type of thing uh i just don't think there should be that much stigma um i understand that you know, we also talked about this before where uh, a lot of people blame schizophrenia or they're attention seeking or they must have some kind of um, damage that goes along with uh, recalling this type of story. And I am very careful to uh, talk to them and screen those out and make sure that they get additional help from a real doctor if they need it, because I'm not a therapist. Please, please don't assume that I'm a doctor. But, um, it's a uh, when you when you get down to it, you're like, this is just a real person that that is living amongst us that has just seen something incredible. And I think that once once I start getting more and more and more of these testimony, I already have uh, experiencers that want to step forward and start talking about it. But I think that once more people start coming forward, and it's not it's not put in a media frenzy like on Ancient Aliens or you know, the after midnight shows like Coast to Coast, where you could just be a normal person and go on an Oprah type show and talk about it. That would be great. I would love for that day to come soon. Right, right. And it'd be more than just simply a very special episode yeah. or feature topic. Right. And, you know, and that's that's key because you're talking about that that cognizance that you're keeping yes. uh, with these listeners. And, and so even with that risk of, of social rejection, people are obviously still approaching you. Yes. Um, and they're wanting to share those stories, perhaps even stories that they didn't realize they had or, or, or even realize that it was a story until, until speaking to you. Um, and, You've mentioned you mentioned before that you you focus on recognizing things such as body language and and facial expressions uh, to to understand one their their feelings and also the impact you're having on these experiences while they're telling their story. Now, are you taking any sort of therapeutic approach or or psychological uh, approach that that is kind of recognized in the community? I, I mentioned before it as we were talking things like uh narrative therapy or other type of talk pair uh therapy techniques uh the way that i like to see it to say it is that i approach you from experiencer to experiencer i guess the closest thing to it is kind of like peer-to-peer counseling but i'm not really counseling you it, it, and it is kind of narrative it's just really listening to a person tell their story and if necessary I will sometimes interrupt and ask a clarification questions or, or questions that build off of what they're already saying. One of the things that I'm always very careful of is to never uh, ask leading questions or kind of insert any of my dialogue into their story. So uh, what I like to do is um, just, just really listen because there's so little of that right now in the community. Uh, if you go on a show where they talk to experiencers, it drives me insane that 70% of it is the host or the or the researcher talking and then the experiencer gets one or two minutes you know they'll edit it down to the hot points of like where they think it's interesting and then they go back h i can't watch ancient aliens uh for example we did a we did a panel at alien con la and i was very proud to be on that panel but it was extraordinarily frustrating because we had all of these quote-unquote experts 
And they just wouldn't shut up asking the experts questions. And I'm like, I want to talk to the experiencers. You put up a mic for a reason. Let the experiencers come up and talk. And they only gave them maybe five minutes, which was so frustrating. And I was like, you know what? If you guys want to come up and tell a story, I will sit right here. I will not leave and I will wait for you. And the crowd just kind of came up in a drove to come up to the stage and talk to the to the panel of experts one by one. Um, I actually had a very uh, emotional connection with one gentleman who was very upset. It was a trigger for him to see the Alien Con logo of the gray with the uh, eye shape. He, he felt that he had been taken many times. And when he was saying this, he was clearly shaking and he, uh, he couldn't continue because he was about to cry. And I got down from my chair in a dress, <laughs> got down from my chair, hopped off of the stage onto the floor with him in the crowd. And I gave him like the biggest hug I could. And I said, that was so great for doing that. Thank you for coming up here. And if you want to wait until after we're done, I will stay and I will wait for you to talk. And he said, yes, thank you. And he went and sat down. And, uh, I think that just that compassion, he actually had the strength to stay through that and he, he waited the entire time and then he felt good enough at the end to be able to relate to uh, my mentor and I, Earl Grey, what he was going through. And sometimes that's just what people need. They need listening and they need compassion. They don't need a doctor. They don't need a therapist. They don't need medication. They just need somebody to listen and shut up. To your point, it makes me very aware, self-aware of the fact that, that Travis is, is sitting quietly in the background um, and I feel so bad talking being, about that, about how reporters and stuff don't shut yeah, up, and I've got yeah, an experiencer yeah. right here. <laughs> uh, but part of it has to do with the, la- the the fact that everybody is simply so unfamiliar with this idea of real people, normal people, having experiences and a story to tell. We end up doing so much of this discussion to just try and understand it. We never even get to the stories. And then right. we want the cliff notes. Right. Yeah. And what the shortened version. Uh, so, Travis, work on that for 300 words or less, please. Um, <laughs> no, no. And actually, part of that has to do with some of these mediums. When we're talking about a television platform or radio, uh, you know, coast to coast, grew everybody grew up listening to coast to coast. It's the inspiration for this, but it's a radio format. Those segments are limited to like three minutes. Yeah. So you better have a very tight story. Yeah. And and focus on absolutely which three details you need. Make sure that you have an intro and a conclusion and a few detailed paragraphs in the middle, and you're done. Same with television. It's got to be translated to visual medium. It's in segments between commercials. But now that we've got this realm of of these this new media and social media like this, I you know I we don't have to worry about time. I'm certainly yeah. not worrying about time. Uh, I I want y'all here as long as possible. You know, until until this recording simply stops and and the tape runs out. Um, but uh, there's but no that's, sun left in the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that, so that's that's this opportunity we have in this is to take a new approach because we have some new approaches and we have a new medium uh, in order to get this out. It's it's and maybe that's some of the some of the influence that is occurring. Right, and I I feel that. Most of my experiencers come forward and it's not because they're attention seeking and it's not because they're seeking closure or validation or verification of these things. I mean, I feel that those are added bonuses that I can uh, pass on to them when I share some of my research with them. But the the vast majority of them, which surprised me, is that they wanted to pass on the information because in some way they wanted to help other experiencers. 
They wanted to help them feel like they were less alone. They wanted to make them feel like they were less uh, stigmatized. They wanted to make them feel like you're not alone. These things are happening to other people. And I'm normal. I'm normal like you. I have kids like you that I take care of. I go to my job every day. And these things are still happening. We have our own herd. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it like to reflect on here with within this podcast is is getting people to understand that there is a lot of research behind these perspectives, you know, and, and this approach. It, these stories aren't just being told for no reason, right? That there's research out there that can, have concluded that stories really allow us to make sense out of events that seem random, confusing, puzzling. Uh, and they actually, as you, as you mentioned before, that they're a strong source of, of self-persuasion. Right. It's it's as you said, it's it's not uh, the more people other people believe, the more you believe yourself. Um, Absolutely. And, and they do. They start forming a very high internal consistency for yourself, your own narrative. When you, yeah. When you set out to tell your story, you need to set out with the goal in mind that you're not there to tell to make other people believe you. But you're telling your story so that you believe yourself so that you honor yourself. That's that's what I have on my business card. That's what I tell all of my experiencers is honor yourself because you survived. Because no matter what that experience was, if you, however old you were, didn't live through it and survive, you wouldn't be here right now. And it takes away a lot of the shame and it takes away a lot of the stigma. And it, it gives them, I feel, kind of the almost kind of like the permission that they've been seeking to to talk and finally start to get this stuff out. And I've, I've done multiple recordings with people where it a first recording can take two hours. And I always open with, look, I, I know that you have a very a very tight schedule on your hand, but look, my recorder only has 15 hours of tape on it, so I'm going to have to limit you there, okay? Yeah, yeah. So it's starting out with an experiencer can be hard, I mean, for both of us, that they're they're not sure what to say at first. But I'm, I'm very gentle. I'm very casual. There's never any pressure for them to uh, disclose anything they don't want to. And once they feel a little bit more comfortable by my, my openness and my listening, they'll take off. And then they'll talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I'm like, whoa, we're going to have to schedule another interview. <laughs> going to have to get you to come back. Well, I could... And it's great. I, I can I could see that that's a probably probably a problem you've suffered with with Travis uh, of getting him to <laughs> to stay quiet. No, but you know what? Actually, since Travis, since we have you here, uh, it, yeah. and this is a question specifically about that that benefit of the experiencers. Uh, could you share with us what for you what uh, the benefits that you have seen in sharing your story the first time with NK or following up later uh what uh with that question of of what are the benefits for the experience or what's your thoughts on that well i know one of the with with, with one of my experiences uh, i was I, I had a lot of it masked uh and and i i was worried that i would forget it and so getting to talk to her about it and be interviewed by her about it helped me not only make it more real to myself uh it broke through bits and pieces of the mask, not all of it, uh, but it also helped me remember just to remember uh, without it just kind of fading away in my memory. I often tell people I'm practicing to have Alzheimer's and I'm getting really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, memory is a fickle thing, and maybe that's why this topic fascinates me. I uh, uh, here, here's my here's my traumatic event as a kid, as a 
12 years old, I was hit by a truck. Um, and, wow. and my understanding is that it hurt, but I don't remember the accident. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. Probably. Absolutely. I, I thank my yeah. brain all the time when I think of what it would actually be like to remember that. I know ostensibly what happened. I know where mm-hmm. exactly it was. I know the moment that my memory of it stopped. And when I woke up in the hospital because a nurse was cutting off my underwear, um, it was, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was, was, was an event, but I'm, I have to rely on the, testimony of bystanders that uh when uh there was there was a a, a court a, a trial just a simply for medical expenses that things of the like for an accident like that and um i remember as a 13 year old up there listening to four different witnesses uh standing at four different corners basically of the intersection and vehicles and stuff and, four heard, different and i heard four different stories so i have no idea what happened no. to me and right. I, yeah, so I can imagine that feeling of, of your, that experience, that memory just kind of slowly slipping away, you know, the effects of time and, and then wanting to recall that and wanting to bring that forward. Yeah, that, that would. And, and I'm, I'm very pleased that, that I did get to interview with her because now I can go back and ask her, what was it that I said about this? Or she'll, cause she's got a great memory and she'll, she'll tell me things about what I said. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And one of one of the things that I wanted to jump into is that Ryan Sprague and I had a wonderful conversation about that uh, memory and that uh, different people are going to remember things in different ways, but we can have no investigation without a story from a, a witness to start with. Is that if nobody had reported your accident, there would have been no investigation, there would have been nothing. So a lot of researchers like to dismiss testimony and stories from experiencers and from witnesses like that because it's not... It's not hard evidence. Show me the evidence. Yeah, you know the guy that said, show me the evidence? I showed him where a spoon was when it was on the table at the conference. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, when, it, when it comes to memory recall, you, uh, you really triggered me there, is that so many people lean into hypnotherapy trying to recall those memories. Your, your brain is meant to keep you safe and to take care of you. And when you go through hypnotherapy, you're essentially trying to bypass all of its safety measures and kind of crack it open like a walnut to remember what really happened. Well, as in the case with your accident, you're going to remember all that pain. You may actually feel all of that pain. You're going to get to watch that truck hit you in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, it's it causes an extraordinary amount of pain. It causes an extraordinary amount of stress. And the people that do this hypnotherapy most of the time are not trained doctors. They're not su- they're not certified in any way uh, with suicide prevention. So they give all of these people these gory details to this traumatic thing that happened to them, and then they just set you loose off into the world with a little copy of your recording and say, okay, well, good luck to you. And I've had I've had different researchers and uh, different MUFON groups actually send me emails and say, yeah, we did have this member or this member commit suicide. It was confirmed through their friends that they think that the hypnotherapy session kind of tipped him over. And that just makes me incredibly sad. It's... It, I don't feel that it's necessary most of the time. You can use um, other cognitive behavioral therapies to help recall traumatic memories. I also had a traumatic childhood from child abuse, and I had blacked a lot of it out, obviously, because it was horrible. And until I went to a therapist and she laid me down and she said, we're not going to do anything except get you very calm. We're going to deepen your breathing and we're going to try something called prolonged exposure therapy. 
So she said, go ahead and take your phone or a tape recorder. And we started recording. And I told a story with as much detail as I could about a time where my mother abused me. And she stopped me. She said, okay, now what do you smell? What do you see? What were the colors of your pajamas? Can you tell me what her face looked like? What's her eye color? And just walking through that with those simple questions, like so much more of that memory hit me. And those details started coming to life just by asking simple questions while you're in a relaxed state. That when I made that recording, even though it was extremely stressful, that's the point of prolonged exposure is that you have that recording and you listen to it over and over and over again. So you're recalling more detail and you're desensitizing yourself to the stress and the PTSD of that story. So that's something that people can do at home. I have my experiencers do it when they're trying to do memory recall or they're trying to kind of get themselves uh, adjusted to what the, the feelings are that they're experiencing, like those side effects of anxiety or shaking and stuff like that. It's been extremely helpful. It really has. Um, and there's so many other therapies to try first before you dive right into hypnotherapy. Please try. Please try real therapy first. Yeah. I, I can't recommend. Yes. <laughs> no. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> to me, that's that's a, a great point. Uh, that's definitely something that that we all need to take away from that is is one. That's a reminder to me of why I've never even contemplated the hypnosis. But there is just just the opportunity to do uh, that that meditative uh, uh kind of relaxation based therapy of of what is it called it's like a mind castle you know it's almost a television trope now the idea of the uh uh the people going back and recalling compartmentalized memories and that's what our brain does over and over again uh we're just no good at accessing it at all um uh, and and again to emphasize that and i know i'm i'm it's a broken record at this point but it's something i want to emphasize because that's the focus is that when we're talking about this we're talking about the impactful trauma the risk of suicide of personal harm it's having that conversation and it regardless of the experience that's being held regardless of of whether it's a uh a, an abusive situation an assault situation uh, P, uh ptsd from a, a combat situation or the perceptions of of an abduction, whether it's by a, a person or it's by a potentially something extraterrestrial or even just contact, the idea of, of your your understanding of the world changing. It is it is traumatic. Uh, even when it's positive, it's traumatic. And we can't take lightly these experiencers' stories or dismiss them. To put it even yeah, and to put it even more scientifically is that when your brain experiences trauma, it literally rearranges the neurons in your brain to deal with that trauma. So it doesn't have to be physical. It could be, um, you know, me watching you get hit by a truck. I'm sure that was very traumatizing. But my brain is changing itself and adapting itself to help me understand to the best of my ability what happened and either how to process it or how to hide it and make it go away because it's upsetting you. So uh, one of the things that I said on Hysteria 51, and um, I, I like to say it as much as I can to people that don't believe. They say, I don't believe in experiencers. I think that there's something wrong with them, either mentally or they're, they're just attention-seeking. And I say, okay, so here's what I do. I'm a sexual assault survivor. I can talk about it whenever I want to. I can get uh, government-subsidized housing. I can get scholarships. I can get free health care. Experiencers with that same type of trauma don't have anybody. They can't even talk about it. That's really the 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 
apex of this conversation. How do we improve those external perspectives and that understanding in the future? How how can these these uh, preservation efforts benefit that, or perhaps even just other approaches? Absolutely. And one of the things that I like to tell other people or other experiencers is that if you want to talk to someone about this and you, you just don't know who to find or you don't know how to handle it, go up to a close friend, close family member, a close coworker that you, you can hold in trust, that you know that the things that you say will stay between the two of you and say, look, I want to talk to you about something. You don't have to have an opinion. I don't need you to react. May I please just tell you a story? Most of the time they'll say yes. And it's a great jumping off point to starting to remember those things and starting to to process those feelings that you've been shoving down inside you for so long. And that that is a way of honoring yourself is you're getting someone to kind of listen so that you can get a little bit of that validation from someone you trust and you're hearing your own voice talking to you. And if someone does this to you, you can always respond with, you know, I, I don't really know what to say to that, but thank you so much for sharing it with me. I, I really appreciate it. I will keep it in confidence. And I will not disclose it to anyone unless you give me permission to. Yeah, that's great. My last question is, I don't think it's a question anymore after this discussion. It's a, this is really a declarative. And that's, that is that your work can help to normalize these discussions of experiences like this for those that are too quick to err on the side of skepticism and, and ridicule. And these efforts will get more people to come forward will help them to resolve an understanding of this this experience that has occurred to them and when necessary get the help and support that they need there's no shame in seeking therapy there really isn't and it, it can take time it took me not not even it took me seven years to find a therapist that i liked and that i trusted seven years but i kept trying and when I finally found that person, even with all of my knowledge and all of my research, to have that type of validation and to have that type of verification for me has been invaluable. And that's why I work with other doctors. I work with other therapists. I ask them all the time, like, what am I doing? I want to be sure that I'm not hurting this person. Like, how exactly should I handle this situation? You know, I, I have that professional help and I know when to say like, okay, look, this has been really great and I want to finish your preservation, but we're going to take you to a doctor first. And in other ways, uh, they tell me like, no, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that person. They're, they're fine. They're normal. And they had that experience. And I'm glad that you preserved it. I'd love to hear it if they want me well, to. I think that's great. I mean, that's, I think a lot of people are like the idea of hearing that you, again, you are simply not a researcher. You're not going through collecting this story, these stories, irrespective of the, of the concerns that, that, that these uh, experiencers have. They're the focus. They're absolutely right. the focus. They are. My research mostly deals with uh, their questions as well. As they want to know mostly the whys of why is this happening to me and things like that. So if I get their permission, I'll share things with other researchers like their their race and their demographics and the nature of their experience, which really helps them out as well. Like, oh, yeah, um, my, my recent one was fascinating with three pregnant women. Three pregnant women didn't know each other, all living in different states, found out before they knew that they were pregnant, that they had received some kind of visitor. One received a white owl. One had a, a paralyzing experience where two figures were over her. And another one um, had both of her cats knock a tarot card, a tarot card deck off of a bed and the top card met pregnancy. Now, all three of these women got the sex of the baby 
and the name of the baby said to them telepathically in their brain. Wow. So they knew, I'm having a baby girl, and her name is blank. And everyone around them said, you're... You're how much, how pregnant are you? You're not even showing up on a test yet. You don't even know if you're pregnant. They're like, nope, pregnant, gender, name. And they were right. And they didn't know each other. And the joy of getting to introduce those women to each other and hearing them talk and hearing how happy they were, um, that they weren't alone and that they weren't insane. It, it, it makes my life worth living. It's what I go for. I'm not a fame seeker. I'm not a fortune seeker. I don't want to publish some best selling book someday. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> It's, it's really just those little moments that I live for is that there's joy in being an experiencer. And one of the questions that I was taught by my mentors to ask is, uh, if you could stop all of these experiences and all of these side effects and everything today, would you stop it today? All of my experiencers so far have said no. Scary ones, traumatic ones, ones that made me afraid. And they're like, no, because I learned something from that and I've used it to help people and it's been beneficial for me even though it sucked. I'm like, that's amazing. And broadly, uh, speaking of research terms, the, the numbers I hear are very close to 90%. 90% of experiencers say that if they could stop it today, that they would not. Wow. You know, that's, a, that's a huge number to hear. It's such an extreme statistic. But when you think about it, again, we're talking about how these are, these are life-changing. These have now shaped them, their, their personal identities. And the idea of just saying, I'm going to erase an entire part of me, an aspect of me now that is reality for me at the very least is is part of what makes me who I am and I just want to stop it or I want to erase it it's no wonder people say no you know it it's not surprising when you take it in that context rather than just oh well this this bad stuff is happening to you and it sounds too much like a like a movie trope so why wouldn't you want it to just stop then you go to go back to normal and maybe that's the key uh, you know it, what's normal yeah right. i don't know right <laughs> uh well look you know We've kind of reached the end of, of questions that I had. And so this is this is that time I, I really just wanted to open it up uh, to you and, and to Travis now, this opportunity to share anything that we really haven't covered, whether it is a personal story or just a perspective on how this this realm of study and effort uh, is is changing or impacting the the realms of of research in these fields. I I have a, a point here that you were talking about all these bad things happening, uh, and I think NK has, uh, has some research that'll back this up. Is that not everybody's experiences are negative. As a matter of fact, uh, a large majority of them are, are not negative, and many of those that see them as negative, uh, if you sit down and, and talk to them a little bit, you'll find out that they're just it's scary rather than negative. Uh, so in, in many cases, people are having things happen to them that they don't understand why it's happening. So that's scary, but it doesn't mean that it's a negative something happening. And, and one of the, one of the beings that I had spoken to, uh, at one point gave me a message that I don't understand completely, but, uh, it, it was a very strong message. And he said that it's kind of a universal rule that nobody can make you do anything you don't want to do. They can't make you scared. They can't make you go with them. They can't make any other things. And I've had an opportunity to test that once and it, it seemed to work okay. And I've talked to a couple other experiencers that they in case introduced me to that have seemed to find that also to be the case. That Ab- once, absolutely. once you can clear your mind and, and understand that I'm in control of this and I'm, I can say no, that you do have that op- option. 
Thank you for that. I'm so tired this morning. Uh, Victor Frankl was a, a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it's a fantastic book, and it's very short, and I recommend it to literally every person. It's Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he talks about uh, logotherapy, and it's a way of moving through your trauma without any type of um, outside therapy. He felt that man was strong enough to overcome his experience by by understanding it. And he said, if you survive it, you get to define it, which I think is fantastic. <clears throat> it's your story. If you survive it, you get to define it. And no family member, no expert, no TV show, nobody can tell you differently. If you are that survivor and you're that person and you are seeing these things and they're happening to you, don't let someone call along, come along and call you crazy and dismiss you and let that be the end of your experience. That happens too many times. If you survive it, it's your story and it's your power within you to tell it and to keep telling it. And no one has the right to tell you to shut up. Just go to a different room and keep telling it. <laughs> I had a, a guy that was, uh, his dad was in the Air Force and he had an experience and it, it really happened. I know it happened because of the way that the military personnel reacted to him talking about this experience. He was assigned his own personal guard so that when this kid was walking around telling people about his experience, the guard would smack him on the back and tell him to shut up. He's just telling stories. He has some kind of schizophrenic disorder. I'm here to make sure he doesn't get hurt. And it happened every single time he tried to tell the experience. And he waited decades, decades before coming forward. And uh, we met at a MUFON meeting and he said, you know, I think I'm finally ready to talk about it. And I said, I would, I would love to just listen anytime. Um, and he, he is one of my favorite experiencers. He really is. His story is fascinating. Uh, I, I, I can't love him enough because his is the most traumatic I've heard so far where he was just hounded 24 hours a day by these things. And these beings wanted him to bring more kids out into the forest. You know, they'll believe you if, if you come and, and get them, you know, we'll show them our ship and, you know, you'll be popular and you'll get to go to all these birthday parties. These people have been ignoring you. And he said, no. He said, I'm not bringing anyone else out here. You're not torturing anybody else. And just the, the pain that he went through. And he never stopped. He never stopped telling the story. And I was like, honor yourself. Honor yourself because you survived and because you never stopped telling your story. And he cried. And I cried. And I'm crying right now. <laughs> but I love that story. I, I love the way you talk about these people. Because they are not just simply... Um, a record, a, you know, a name associated with the record. They are not a witness. They're not a a, a log uh, entry. Uh, these are people, and that's how you talk about them. Yeah. And that's how you introduce them to to us when we're listening. Uh, and that's that's the best part about it. I everybody needs to get you out to talk, just so that they can be reminded or maybe learned for the first time that. These things happen to real people. Yes. And regardless of what one thinks they may actually be or what sort of explanation is there, um, they're attached to real people that are not trying to con everybody. They're not trying to tell a story. They're not trying to get their 15 minutes of fame. They're just trying to make sense of what happened. Absolutely. I've got a theory that actually 100% of uh, the world population has had some type of experience that they may not even recognize. Mm -hmm. uh, Perception is reality. Because there's so much going on that we don't 
see that there's so many other dimensions that, that we don't realize that we're interacting with, uh, you know, not just the, the, the almond-eyed ETs, but the, the non-corporeal beings that, that are interacting with, with other dimensions that we can't even understand. It's, it's a lot of what we don't understand. I mean, we used to think that when there was thunder that the gods were mad at us and we'd find our prettiest virgin and sacrifice her. So I, I have high hopes for this research. I do. And it's, uh, I think it's just a really great way of just preserving this testimony. And, I, and I've had enough people come up to me and tell me that I need to write a book and I should be writing a book. But <clears throat> I think that one, uh, his name is Ed Conroy who is a wonderful scholar and reporter and writer. He is the one that interviewed Whitley Strieber after communion. And he wrote the book called Report on Communion. And it's one of the the best investigative books I've ever read. He was so thorough. Not only that, but he was brave enough back then to put a chapter at the end. And he said, inevitably, when people ask me about my book and ask me about Whitley Strieber, they ask me if I've had any personal experiences. And he said, yes. And he, he went forth and he talked about them very truthfully and very succinctly. And that was at the end of this book. And it reinforces uh, what one of my mentors, Earl Gray, told me is that the more that you interact with this phenomena, kind of the closer it gets to you. So the more I chase it and the more that I interview these experiencers, just kind of the more weird shit and synchronicities kind of start happening to me. And it's, it's just kind of one of those perks of the job. But uh Thank you for that. I, I do enjoy talking to people. I'm kind of uh, socially awkward, but um, I want to write a, a book, mostly a survival guide of just these tools that I have picked up along the way. And it's going to be a take it or leave it kind of book. Like if you met, found one chapter or one testimony that you felt meant something to you or helps you, take it. If you don't like the rest, leave it. Um, but just the things that I, I picked up on the way, you know, honor yourself because you survive. And, you know, if, if you survive it, you get to define it. And even from what's it called? Desi, Desiderata, the poem. That's probably a horrible pronunciation of it. I think it's Desiderata. But you, you are a child of the universe, just like the trees and the flowers and the stars. And you have a right to be here. You have a right to exist. You have a right to tell your story and to tell people to fuck off when they tell you you're crazy. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody could say that better. Um, you have a right. And when, when the experiencer survival guide is published, uh, yes, I'm pre-ordering. So, <laughs> uh, Cause that's, yeah, that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's we, on record, it's been said here. So, uh, if someone else is trying to claim that book title, it was worked here first. Uh, I love, do- I love. The Hitchhiker's Survival Guide. It's one of my favorite books. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to write something along the lines of a survival guide with just real testimony from people like Travis that are not only going through these experiences, they're going through real life shit too, like PTSD and spousal abuse and uh, chronic pain and illnesses. And they're just amazing survivors. It, it's incredible to me that not only they're still alive, they're positive, they're thriving, they're functioning, they take care of kids and go to work. And I'm like... Tell me, tell me how you do these things so I can tell others. Well, I gotta get to gotta get around to writing that. Shouldn't be doing podcasts. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too, there's too many authors that are out there, and they admit it onto podcasts that usually their deadlines come and go as yeah. they're working. So, so you're not alone in that regard. Wrapping this up, the listeners right now, I know, I know, as you're talking about writing a book or putting something out there, they're excited about this. We have gotten them worked up and excited. This is a whole new realm of learning. So why don't we 
go through and and I'd love for you to explain actually what's next. You know, the book may not be coming out for a while, <laughs> but um but what is next for you? Uh, what's there for your future to hold? I, I know that you're working, you've mentioned you're working with uh, Chris Cogswell on analysis of stories, you know, trying to make some, not make sense, but put this together as an archive and draw some architecture, some commonalities for these things. You've got a travel channel uh, upcoming. Uh, so I just, yeah, I'd like to know what's what's next for N.K. Cranda. I, I love I love Christopher Cogswell. He is such a stellar guy with such amazing integrity. Um, well, I, I'm a MUFON uh, investigator as well. I took the certification and the test and everything. And he was so patient. I said, can you please go through these lab procedures with me? If I ever found a crash site or a UFO, I would want to do it correctly. And he actually took the time out of his day to tell me like how to collect samples and how much to get and what labs to send it to and how to make sure that they weren't contaminated. So... Chris Cogswell, you're amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I, he wanted to help me uh, kind of form our own database and start extrapolating more of this data to find those commonalities. We're also working together to um, take some of this nomenclature of the UFO community and kind of make it more available to people so that we're not constantly saying UAP or contactee or abductee and people are like, what are you talking about? So I think that that's we need to get rid of some of that jargon because it, it people just don't understand it, and I don't think it's essentially necessary. Um, I do have a, an episode on the Travel Channel. I uh, The show is called Strange World. I worked with Christopher Garitano and an experiencer named Ashley. We went up to Austin, um, and I really wanted her to come forward with her experience because it was an incredible story about her getting attacked by something and then fighting back, which is a, a big theme with me that... If you want to fight back against these things that are happening to you, you can. And there's certain ways to go about doing that, which we talked about with them on the show. I don't know when it comes out, but I know that I'm in the very last episode of Strange World on the Travel Channel. So I think it's episode number nine. Uh, yeah, other than that, you know, uh, chasing a five-year-old, she breaks a lot of things. I do a lot of continuing education, so I always appreciate it when people uh, email me articles or, uh, you know, give me book recommendations or podcast recommendations. That's always fascinating to meet new people in the field. Um, yeah, and if you want to just talk to me, if you want to share your experience, if you want a preservation or if you want to just say hello, I'm at preserveyourexperience at gmail.com. And I'm going to shut up now because I've been talking for forever and I've got an experiencer right here that should be talking instead. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, Travis, I, this is why I have this is, is really just the chance when the opportunity arises to, to talk to someone and record thoughts, stories, experiences that give a perspective that I, that I can't get surfing the internet or reading, even reading book, you know, research books. So I, Yes, I'd love and and we can it can be something that you just like to tell. Uh, so work, working with NK, I uh, may, one of the things that made me realize that I've actually had several different types of, of uh, uh, experiences throughout my life. Uh, some some with MF. Once I, I realized that once when I was in about seventh or eighth grade, uh, if some type of portal opened. Uh, if I was staying home sick and some type of portal opened that warped space and time. And at the time, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Uh, but, but later I realized, okay, that's what happened. The, the, the things that were supposed to be fast were slow and things were supposed to be slow or fast 
things didn't move correctly that I've read on, on other people having these types of experiences. I'm like, oh, cool, now I know what it was. So I'm, I'm thinking that that happened in preparation for me doing something else with it in the future. Uh, I'm told that some that most of my my main experience that I had with with the aliens was uh, was masked because it's something I'm supposed to know later that will be revealed to me later, and that right now it's not important to me for whatever reason, which is frustrating because I'd like to remember. It wasn't scary at all, uh, from what I remember. It was it was it was enjoyable. It was an experience I asked for and and received. Uh, and then I've I've had the experience of, t- of getting to speak to non-corporeal entities. Uh, and, and that's where I, I was able to find that the main reason we're not being contacted openly with, with them landing on the, the White House lawn and coming out and saying, hi, we're here, uh, is because we are so far below the evolutionary scale of everyone else in the universe. Uh, and we are an extremely, uh, hostile, uh, and volatile species. Uh, and they're, they're, we're scary to them. <laughs> Much like if, if you were to go into the into the jungle and try to talk with a, a gorilla, they're very peaceful creatures unless you walk up to them, whatever, they might hurt you for getting in their space. Wow, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't considered it like that. Is is approaching having something so unfamiliar. Yeah. Uh and and you know, when it's that when it's something that would be so much more advanced or so much more developed, we recognize that and that can be very scary. Uh, like you said, uh these things are, are more scary. Well and, and, than anything. The first time I had the opportunity to speak to the non-corporeal beings, I would, it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't, I didn't prepare anything. I didn't prepare any questions. I didn't prepare, it was all of a sudden, okay, here they are. I ask a question. I was like, okay, what do I ask? Uh, and I was very extremely intimidated, uh, but they made me feel very at ease. Did they tell you 42? No, they did not tell me 42. <laughs> uh, but they did make me feel very at ease. And I felt like my, my grandfather was, was a, a PhD president of the college, all this other kind of stuff, very intelligent man. And I remember dealing with him when I was a little kid, and that's what it felt like. It felt like a little kid dealing with an extremely intelligent person. But he was. they told me, even though you don't have the same information that we have, the same experiences we have, that your experiences are exactly as important as anyone else's. Your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your experiences, they are individual and important just as they are for anyone else. So they're not better than us. We're not less than they are. We're just different, and we don't have the information they have. You know, that is an age-appropriate conversation of saying, I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm not condescending to you. You're simply not – this is simply the information that you're ready to have. Right, exactly. and, and And you will improve, and you will grow. Yes, and I believe we are, as, as, as a species, I believe we are growing. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of things opening up, and uh, I think the, the disclosure's there. The, 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 it's, the information's out there. We just have to incorporate it without, you know, breaking out the, the, all the edifices of war and trying to kill these things because we're scared of them, which we wouldn't be able to do anyway. <laughs> which, is, which is another great point with Travis, um, is that just like you don't compare trauma you don't compare experiences either. Every experience matters. The opening line I get from everybody is either, you're going to think I'm crazy. First of all, no, I don't. Second of all, they say, well, it's not like, like Whitley Strieber or anything. I mean, it's, it's not a really, it's not really a big deal, but I guess I've kind of had an experience. And I'm like, can, can you please just, just tell me, just tell me more about it. Can, can you lead me into it? What happened? 
And most of the time, it, it's a fabulous experience, and it's fascinating. Like, I don't necessarily want communion every single time. You don't have to be taken up into a UFO to be an experiencer, you know. I've had amazingly heartwarming stories where, like, people's grandmother came into the room and shut off the radio after their grandmother had died to do because they weren't studying, and they were messing with the radio trying to find a rock music station they liked. Oh, wow. That's and it's great. Like, that's an experience, and I've recorded that. It was fascinating. Um, yeah, I've had people tell me that, like, uh, what was another really good one that I shared with you? Um, another person told me that their cat actually ran out into the woods, and they saw a, uh, oh, God, it was terrifying, what they thought was a Wendigo. And when the cat ran up to it and hissed at it and yelled, a freaking Wendigo ran away. <laughs> Which is like a famous cryptid. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm speechless. I'm just processing all this because it makes it's it's just so it's such common sense. Everything you're saying just makes sense. Um, and oftentimes people are just maybe just getting to that leap of going. It's not crazy to say that these stories are experiences. These experiences have happened. Do we understand them completely? Do we understand them in the context of what exactly happened to us or not? I, you know, that's not, I'm sure that's not the case every time. I, I could only imagine how many people have said, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but here's what I remember. And, and yes, how many of them stop you and say, you're going to think this sounds crazy because they've told themselves that over and over again. I must be crazy. And they're not. Your memory is your reality. Yeah, your perception is your reality. And other people are going to perceive the reality to be different. But you know what? I, I love to listen. It, it really, it, it's like peanut butter and jelly for me. Like it's the best part of my day when I get another email to preserve your experience at gmail.com. And it doesn't have to be a voice recording. Some people just write an email. Sometimes we just talk on the phone. Sometimes they like to do Skype. Uh, it's, it's nice sometimes to meet up with them face to face because I feel like I'm a more comforting presence, but you know, I'm not scary. I'm only 5'4", you know, I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, I'm an experiencer too, so I've also seen a bunch of things that I can't explain, like the Marvel story. And one of the, the special things that I do with my experiencers that do disclose and are preserved is I share some of my more uh, private experiences with them. And for me, that's that's very comforting and very validating as well. So I, I love it. Do you want to share more of your experience or have you, do you have anything else to say? That's most of it. That's most of it? Okay. Any final closing thoughts? 42? 42. 42. 42. What is that? The answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yes. It is. Absolutely. If we only knew the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the podcasts would be much shorter on it um, if that was the case. Uh, but um, no. Okay. Well, NK, Travis, thanks so much for coming on today. Um, you know, again, as you mentioned, Preserve your experience at gmail.com. Everyone, that is how you can get a hold of NK. Uh, and uh, please do so. Please, please feel free to do so. Um, and I would imagine that they could contact you whether they've got an experience or a question or a concern or any pick a term. And, and, and if they've just have, if it's something that they have been apprehensive to approach others on, you're probably a good stop for that. Absolutely. I really am. I'm also on Facebook under NK Cranda. Um, I have a young child, so it may take me time to respond to you, but I do read every single email I get. I do respond 
to pretty much every Facebook message I get. Uh, yeah, I'm accessible. I'm normal. I'm normal. Where's my flag? <laughs> that will make that a t-shirt. Sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day. And that is that. Give a huge round of applause for NK and Travis. Their honesty and sincerity shone through the entire conversation. We were enjoying the discussion so much that there's an extended version of this interview over on Patreon. After we finished up, they indulged me as we swapped additional stories and talked about future ideas. So often, the mainstream discussion surrounding topics of alien contact or abduction, paranormal sightings, and supernatural experiences and synchronicities become debate over absolutes. In an attempt to prove a point, people on either side of the debate argue for the reality or hoax of an experience. They question and argue the character and integrity of experiencers. They throw around tidbits of scientific theory and statistical probabilities. They learn everything about these events, save for one thing. They too often learn nothing about the experiencer, who they were before, how they've changed following, and what it has meant for them as they struggle to make sense of a new personal reality. This is why it matters. This is what we find fascinating about experiencer stories. Not the sordid details, not the paper trail of facts and findings, not even the true crime component of hoisting someone up to be subjected to public scrutiny and social judgment. In a time where media tells us that these things are good entertainment, we now know the truth. These stories fascinate us because they are our stories. Experiencers aren't scripted characters from faraway lands. They're us, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, and classmates. They have kids and jobs and car payments. They don't want 15 minutes of fame. In fact, most are terrified of receiving a lifetime of shame for something that happened to them, all because it's not a generally accepted type of traumatic event or revelation. The more these stories are told, though, the more we connect and seek connections of our own. So, if you've made it this far, then this episode was for you. If you kept an open mind and listened to NK Talk, about these experiencers and listen to Travis tell his story, then I'm guessing that you may just have a story of your own to tell. And sincerely, if you are an experiencer, reach out. Let the story be told, even if only ever once. NK is out there to listen and preserve your experience. Alright, that will do it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me today. Please click that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. You can email me at contact at conspiracytheoryology.com or find me on the socials at TheoryologyPod. All the info can be found at conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the show on Patreon. Music is by adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. So, until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology. Theoryology.